0: Welcome to the basement everybody, hope you all had a good weekend, hope you guys are enjoying the holiday season and whatnot. whatever you're doing out there, uh, whatever you're celebrating out there as well, Uh, we're 12 days in, which leaves like, Jesus Christ, two weeks to Christmas Um, if you celebrate Christmas, uh, whether it's Hanukkah or anything else, uh, Kwanzaa, I mean, happy holidays to you guys as well. Uh well anyway, um I've like I've been want I wanted to do this kind of episode about a year ago, but things kinda piled on with guests and whatnot through December twenty twenty-one. Uh December twenty twenty-two, I've got a little bit of freedom. Not saying that, you know, when I have guests on, I'm I'm bogged down. I love talking to people. But I, I kinda every now and then, as you know, like doing these little topic episodes where it's just me kind of picking some films to talk about with a certain topic in mind, and obviously, tis the season, I do have a topic in mind, and it is uh, Christmas films, but a big catch here is they take place during Christmas time, but they're not necessarily about Christmas. Um, There's obviously numerous amounts of Uh, holiday films out there you can watch on streaming and on cable tv christ sakes from christmas eve to christmas night we have 24 hours of a christmas story or you can just play it for 24 hours on uh hbo max i think that's where that's streaming Uh, but i know tbs or tnt does their annual 24 hours of a christmas story yeah national lampoon's christmas vacation is a classic amongst at least my family i mean I, i think we watched that religiously when i was growing up quoting cousin eddie uh i mean any of those national lampoons films are classics and whatnot and then of course you know a a special one i hold with my my mom is it's a wonderful life uh classic with jimmy stewart uh (laughs) i gotta be honest like when i was a kid I, I i didn't get it and you know my mom used to worship it i think it plays on nbc christmas eve and christmas night uh, and you know, I'd sit there and kind of watch it, but then I kind of wander off. It was a black and white movie for a ten-year-old kid. I'm not into movies made in the 1940s, but um, older I get, I still watch It's a Wonderful Life on a regular basis, just because that ending creeps up on you. I tell you that that ending is just creeps the hell up on you. Uh, and then you know, classics like How the Grinch Stole Christmas, which I can't wait to show to my daughter uh, Christmas Eve or whenever. I, I think it's that's also streaming somewhere where I can just play it whenever the hell I want it. Uh, But again, I'm not here to talk about Christmas movies per se. I'm here to talk about movies that take place during the Christmas season. And I'm sorry, I'm not trying to exclude anyone who celebrates a different holiday this holiday season. This is just kind of a topic I landed on. Uh, If anybody has has some references, I am all ears, by the way. So feel free to reach out to me if that's the case. But I wanted to do, because I've noticed it over the years, especially in the last... I want to say there's a lot of films from like the 1940s and 50s, maybe into the 60s. And they did not make my list. I'm not excluding them because I wasn't interested. I just you know, don't think they're really on my radar that much. Um, but I noticed like really in the last 30 years, especially in the 90s, there was a lot of films that took place during Christmas or like on Christmas Eve or Christmas night that, yeah, acknowledge the fact that, you know, this is taking place on this holiday and uh but the plot line really has nothing to do with the true essence of christmas and whatnot Uh, especially in the 90s which i believe oddly enough i think all the films on that i'm going to talk about here today are from the 1990s i think i don't know i'm I'm double i'm cross-referencing right here as i right here as i record this um yeah uh yeah, I guess it was a big time. I'm gonna mention uh great filmmaker Shane Black a lot. His name is gonna be dropped on the list and a few that maybe i uh are honorable mentions. but I whittled it down to five films um and five films that are let's just call it five films that take place on Christmas that aren't necessarily about Christmas Now I know what you're thinking. <laughs> It's that time of year when everybody brings the diehard argument out. Diehard's a Christmas movie. You know, <laughs> nobody likes Die Hard more than me. Nobody. I'm sorry. If you think you like Die Hard more than me, you don't. I'm just being sarcastic, but there's probably someone out there that likes Die Hard more than me. But regardless, I'm going to go on a limb here and say Die Hard isn't a Christmas movie. I'm going to give you a hot take here. <laughs> reason why I don't think Die Hard is a Christmas movie, and look, if you want to say Die Hard is a Christmas movie and watch it Christmas Eve like I would have in the past, dude, knock yourself out. Um, but Christmas is just the backdrop of the film, and that would lump into the kind of category films I'm talking about today. Uh, films where Christmas is the backdrop, but there's a completely other different thing going on in the movie. And thus, therefore, I don't know if I'd call it a Christmas movie because you could make Die Hard take place on Halloween. You could make Die Hard take place on New Year's. Be a perfect setup for Die Hard as well. They're having a New Year's Eve party at Nakatomi Plaza. Uh, you could, shit, man. You could. I don't know. Like you, you could maybe put Die Hard on a different holiday. Like whatever, hot, like Cinco de Mayo. I don't fucking know. Uh, wherever like there's think of a think of a ho think of um think of a holiday where there's always a company party, I think you can start that with Die Hard. Um, that is not to take away anything from Die Hard. I fucking love Die Hard. Uh, however, because it is the obvious choice, it might as well be on this list. I'm not gonna talk too much about Die Hard today. I didn't put it in my five films here, uh, but. Because I'm sure you as the listeners, and especially the listeners that know me personally, know how much I love Die Hard. I am going to now give you a little excerpt of my favorite scene from Die Hard right here so everybody knows I acknowledged the film and I can move on with this episode. This is my favorite part from Die Hard.
1: Mayday, mayday, anyone copying Channel 9? Terrorists have seized the Nakatomi building and are holding least 30 people hostage. I repeat, unknown number of terrorists. Six or more armed with automatic weapons at Nakatomi Plaza. Century City to transmit. Somebody answer me, goddammit. The roof. Go, go! It's the same address as that fire signal. I'll handle it. Attention, whoever you are, this channel is reserved for emergency calls only. No fucking shit, lady! Do I sound like I'm ordering a pizza? <laughs> Kills him, but me. They have already killed one hostage. They are fortifying their positions while you're jerking me up on a radio. Now, send the police. Sir, back I've up already ASAP. told you, this is a reserve channel. If this is an emergency call, dial 911 on your telephone. Otherwise, I'll have to report this as an FCC violation. Find, report me. Come the fuck down here and arrest me. Just send the police now. <laughs>
0: All right, I have acknowledged Die Hard, so now I can move on with this show. I get it. People want to think it's a Christmas movie. I think it's a good movie where Christmas is the backdrop, and you could probably switch up that holiday if you wanted to. Feel free to disagree with me on social media like I'm sure some of you will. Uh, Anyway, let's move on. i got five films to talk about here uh, within this vein of Die Hard. Die Hard, you can say, just sets the example, I guess you could say. Uh up first for me, like I said a few minutes ago, I'm going to probably mention Shane Black. And I think Shane Black likes Christmas a lot because a few of his films do have a backdrop to Christmas. Now, Shane Black obviously got the start as just really – he got, got his start as a screenwriter. As you don't know, he wrote um, the first Lethal Weapon, I believe maybe the second. I don't know how many Lethal Weapons he wrote exactly because by the time we hit the maybe – mid to late 90s, he's actually directing films. He's one of those writers that you could clearly tell was going to be a great transition into directing. Um, So Shane Black writes a movie in the mid 90s. uh, Well, I don't know how when he exactly wrote the film, but it gets goes into production. Uh, This is in the mid 90s. This is a underrated action gem that I don't, see a lot of praise for, but I fucking have loved it ever since it came out. This is 1996 The Long Kiss Goodnight. Hello, girls.
1: Caitlin, come help me in the kitchen. Hurry up, because I forget where it is. That's her mom. She's got amnesia. (laughs) (laughs) What if you couldn't remember your real name, your first kiss, or your last goodbye? And then suddenly. I used to do this! I'm a chef! No! Without warning. Give me something else! Sally! Calion! Mm-hmm. Ah! All your memories. My name's Charlie. I'm coming back. Became flooding back to you. In, Charlie. Long time. One bullet at a time. I got movement on Samantha Kane. Good. Mm-hmm. I may have a lead on someone. I may still have some of her stuff. <gasps> man he's gonna help me find some things out so we'll be safe your full name is charlene elizabeth baltimore this could be trouble my name is samantha King. no 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 forget all that i'm in the PTA. then quit we're an assassin working for the united states government we have 24 hours we find her and we kill her you like? charlie baltimore's alive sir his name's charlie the spy when we first met you were all like oh boy i burned the darn muffins now uh, you go going to a bar ten minutes later sailors come running out what up with that honk if there's any trouble yes yeah, so miss daisy i'd be honking if you have plans for a calm quiet evening come your yes hey should we get a dog it's time to kiss the Good night.
0: I remember seeing the trailer for that movie on some VHS I was watching that I rented back in, like, I don't know, probably about six months before the movie came out or something. I don't know. Uh, and I love how that trailer starts. You think it's Gina Davis playing, like, stay-at-home mom, and there, it's going to be, like, some sort of, like, either rom-com or drama, and then it just flips, and she's a CIA operative. <laughs> uh, so this movie... I know I just played the two-and-a-half-minute trailer, but just some clarity on it. The The film takes place during the holiday season. I, I don't necessarily think it's like... It, it doesn't take place on one night, like Christmas night or Christmas Eve, obviously. There's a pretty drawn-out plot, but um, it takes place during the holidays, really in the thick of winter, too. This, it, it, um, I don't know if it's like Buffalo, New York, or Toronto, or somewhere, but it, it's in the Niagara Falls area. Uh, and so, like, you know, winters are pretty rough up in that part of the country. Um, so so the plot goes a little something like this. Gina Davis is a school schoolteacher. Uh, she lives an average suburban life. Uh, and, you know, she is someone who has been battling amnesia. She can't remember who she was from a few years ago. And she's slowly started regaining these, like, skills. The, the, the scene from the trailer is uh, she's in the kitchen cutting carrots, and all of a sudden she just, like, can do it really fast. <laughs> and then i don't know she just she thinks she's a chef in a past life but it turns out in a past life she was like an assassin hired by the government and all these uh bad guys kind of come out of the woodwork to try and hunt her down and so the cia tracks her down and um (laughs) this is where samuel jackson comes into play uh he's um He is a private detective that gets hired by her, or I think he's hired by the CIA to, like, probe her past and everything. And that's where all this stuff gets discovered. And uh, Brian Cox, who's in Succession, great actor, by the way. I mean, he's in a lot of things, but I've just been watching Succession recently. And he's great in that show, and he's great in a lot of other things. uh, Pops up in there as a CIA agent uh, who's very aware of her past. And it turns into kind of just like a cat-and-mouse game between, like, she needs to protect the family she has now while using the skills from her past that she's recently discovered. Uh, It's a pretty out-there plot. And um, it is typical Shane Black with the big set pieces uh, with really cool, like, I can't think of the right word, but just, like, his dialogue is unmatched. In any of his films, whether he was the writer or the director, it's like I, I swear to God, this guy knows a ton of like detectives all over the country, and he's able to just talk like people in law. Like his characters of law enforcement talk so well and so natural. You know, again, he crafted the Lethal Weapons series. He put that story to paper, um, and obviously, other great hits like uh, The Last Boy Scout, also with Bruce Willis and Damon Wayans. Um, all the way up to things like he directed Iron Man 3, which, you know, is kind of a polarizing film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And as well as the uh, Predators movie, which I think a lot of people can agree was not that great. But, you know, he's also gone on to do things like The Nice Guys in 2016 with Ryan Gosling and Russell Crowe. That is one of the best movies of the past 10 years, hands down. It's streaming on Netflix, I think, right now. I hope I don't know. It's a new month. Some things leave the streaming service, and I think I watched that a couple of weeks ago. Um, but back to um, Long Kiss Goodnight, like this has so much like badass, over the top eight or nineties action uh, stunts and whatnot. Samuel L. Jackson's fresh off of doing Pulp Fiction, so he's very much in that full blown, you know, Samuel L. Jackson with a gun, badass kind of character. Uh, it's just. And The thing is, is the plot is so outrageous. There's this whole, like, government conspiracy thing to blow up Niagara Falls, something at Niagara Falls again. And you're just... You kind of just hear this stuff, and you're like, what the fuck? <laughs> How many action movies from 20, 30 years ago when there's, like, an actual threat from the villains and you remember what they're actually trying to do and conquer? You're just kind of like, okay, but... What really keeps the film together is Gina Davis, and I know she doesn't pop up in a lot of stuff now. I think she has she has a lot of other things going on for her outside of acting. I think acting's really kind of been on the back burner for many years now for her. She pops up in you know TV shows every now and then, but you know the '90s was a real thriving time for Gina Davis. That was a great decade for her, and this just I just feel like she's having a lot of fun. She gets to play suburban mom for the first 30 minutes of the movie and then she plays an absolute fucking badass for the next hour 15 hour 20 of the movie um with christmas being the backdrop so uh if you want to track down long kiss goodnight i think it's streaming currently on showtime and i say that (laughs) begrudgingly because i don't have showtime um i do have a dvd of it though Uh, which I revisited for this um, episode when I started crafting it literally like a year ago. So I actually haven't really watched it in a while, but I knew this was going to go on the list. Uh, Long Kiss Goodnight, um, a classic. I think you can also pay like $2 for it on YouTube or something or Amazon Prime. Um, Just fun. Just fun gunfights, explosiveness. I guess you could turn your brain off, but Shane Black kind of makes you really think about the dialogue and and whatnot and you know maybe it doesn't have the great again like stakes in the film but um a lot of fun a lot of fun so next up and like i said uh i'm pretty sure every movie i'm talking about here came out in the 1990s uh so i know there's a lot of 90s nostalgia going on out there in the zeitgeist so i guess this will make for a good episode um Every time I introduce this film to people like outside of my family, they either just kind of, eh, they don't really like it as much. So it's kind of a bum thing, but <laughs> I get kind of bummed out because I feel like like my my mother likes this film, my father likes, the, I think my father likes the film, my brother liked the film, uh, my sister as well. Like this came out when they were teenagers, and I didn't really get to see it till later on because of some of the comedy in it. Uh, this is 1994's The Ref. See, these two people,
1: I hate these people. How can we both be in the marriage and I'm miserable and you're content? Luck? It was Christmas Eve in Connecticut. I was minding my own business, breaking into this rich guy's house. when I... I ran into this dog. I hate this dog. My partner Murray was waiting for me outside. Murray's an idiot. Murray. This is Santa Claus not the real santa claus Just some drunk guy pretending to be santa claus Ah! Ah! anyways the cops came i took those two people hostage in that house that i hate and guess what their relatives showed up why because it's christmas eve remember remember how much i said i hated those two people Ah! that's nothing compared to how i feel about the rest of their family the TV's broke. What are we gonna do all night? Celebrate the birth of Christ. I hate this guy, his wife, these kids, <sighs> this lady. I think this is sick. Oh. You wanna have sex with him? What? <sighs> it was a nightmare. It was just, uh, uh, Shut up! These cops and candles and kids and booze and fruitcake and Santa Claus and. Sex and drugs and, 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 and women being set on fire. Fascinating. It was such a nightmare that now I hate Christmas. I used to love Christmas. You know, food and and reindeer and and ties and and bags of fluffy new socks. Now I even hate socks.
0: So just like Gina Davis in the 1990s, Dennis Leary uh, was just killing it. Uh, Good movie after good movie, if you ask me. Um, this movie broke even at the box office. It's got a, I'm reading, it's got a budget of a million dollars to make and at the box office it got a million dollars. So, I mean, this is the 1990s, $11 million is, you know, it's a lot of money to me. I mean, I don't know what we want to look at with inflation or lack thereof. I, I'm not going to get into that. Uh, but, <laughs> but Dennis Leary again, um, was skyrocketing to fame at this time as a stand-up comic a few years ago and he started popping in or a few years prior to this film and he just started popping up in supporting roles here and there throughout the movies. He really kind of was a good still is too, uh, a great character actor. Um doesn't do a lot of movies. I think he just he's been really just known as an author. He writes a lot of books now. Uh, and he still has stand-up specials and I know he does his yearly um well it's done throughout the year but like it's a big event I think probably around um, around September and whatnot uh, for firefighters and everything. He does he, he does a lot of work for um, fundraising for firefighters the families who've lost uh, family members who are firefighters. If you get where I'm going here, um, yeah. So Dennis Leary in his prime acting career, though, and I should also acknowledge the fact he was in one of my favorite shows through high school, Rescue Me, about the you know FDNY firefighters after, post 9-11, and what they had to deal with. I think that's such a great freaking show. But back to Dennis Leary in the 90s, uh, really thriving as a comic, popping up on the big screen as a character actor. He plays Gus, who's a he's a, he's a thief. He's a guy who breaks into houses. You know, He doesn't really try to harm anybody or kill anybody. He's just a thief, and he goes into rich people's houses throughout like New York and Connecticut. The film takes place in Connecticut, and he tries to, or he robs, you know, People their money, jewels and whatnot, and everything. And um so he's a cat burglar and he through some string of events, a uh heist that he does at some rich person's house goes wrong, and he ends up with Kevin Spacey and Judy Davis, who play a married couple that are constantly bickering you know they need to just break up or and call it quits they don't you know they don't have any kids together they they this could be a clean split obviously if you look at it and um they're just they're, they're the worst couple they don't belong together at all and Dennis Leary finds himself trapped in their house so he uh holds them hostage on christmas eve and it just so happens that uh Kevin Spacey and Judy Davis's uh family members are all coming over for a Christmas Eve dinner and they have to kind of, you know, have Gus there in the middle of all this and it turns into a fucking hilarious situation nonstop. You know, I do want to acknowledge the fact that this movie does have Kevin Spacey. I understand he's a polarizing figure in this day and age. Uh, This is long before any news about him ever came out. Um, So I I do have to acknowledge that. And I also acknowledge the fact that he's extremely hilarious as just a fed-up man with his uh, current situation and whatnot. And Judy Davis completely gives it back to him. She's kind of... Um, it seems like she's kind of the woman on the receiving end of she's bored and whatnot in the marriage and she um you know he he's the thriving you know member of the household really she's kind of hanging out doing nothing and um <laughs> And slap dab in the middle of this is you have Dennis Leary showing up and he is stuck between the two of them. There's a funny scene where they're in the kitchen. He's got him tied up in chairs and he's on the phone trying to call people to like get him out of his situation. And he just takes like the they're just talking shit back and forth to him while he's on the phone. And he, he takes the um he takes the kitchen sink that you can like, you know, you can kind of pull it out. It's like a hose. And he just starts spraying him with it Uh there's just so many, like, it also makes, you know, as someone who's from the Northeast, like, and have been in these kind of rich household situations, and you see these kind of snobby families, and you just see this culture clash of a criminal with these snobby families. It makes for such a funny setup. Uh, and again, all takes place on Christmas Eve. Um Yeah, it's a... Uh, it, it, again nobody i don't hear a lot of people talk about the ref but when i was a kid like i I remember just like my mom and like brother and sister like obsessing over this movie and how funny it was dennis leary again was just in prime mode as a superstar um yeah i i don't think it's streaming anywhere i remember a few years ago it popped up on hbo and i think that was one of the last times i saw it so i always keep the ref in my back pocket with like A Christmas movie that isn't really a Christmas movie, although it takes place on Christmas Eve. um, But I guess there is kind of a subtle, uh, you know, towards the end of the movie, you know, true meaning of Christmas thing kind of thrown in there between these characters as they reach compromises in their life and understanding. Um, I don't think that's like overdone, like a lifetime original movie that comes out during Christmas time or Hallmark. Uh, it does it in its own way, and I think you know, I think you kind of have to. But I, I still defend the fact that this isn't a full-on Christmas film. So that's the ref. Uh, I, I again, I don't know where you can find it. I think you really gotta hunt that movie down. Um, I remember I bought it for my mom on DVD one year, and holy shit, did I have to scour like any place and anywhere to find it and I finally found it somewhere it was a miracle I found the ref um yeah so let's move on to the next one Tim Burton is going to come up twice on this show and that makes or and since I have three more movies that means two of these films are Tim Burton films so I'm going to do the first one right now uh this is none other than a film I think a lot of people go back to uh Christmas again at the backdrop of the Climax of the film, and that is none other than Edward Scissorhands.
1: I think you should just come home with me. Joyce, I just saw this strange guy driving with Peg. Did you get a good look at him? Hi! Scissors. Whoa! handshake you got there, Ed. <laughs> Kim, this is Edward who's going to live with us. Well, this must be quite a change for you, right, Ed? Those things are cool. Can I bring Show Tell on Monday? He's a highly imaginative character. It seems clear that his awareness of what we call reality is radically underdeveloped. Eddie, you take my very breath away. Do you have a girlfriend?
0: <laughs> ah, is there some special lady in your life?
1: Hey, this Doctor you're Skewered Kid. Just a scratch. The power of Satan is in him. I can feel it. Grab your weapon. I felt in my gut there was something wrong with him. From Tim Burton comes the most incredible tale of a most unusual character. Edward Scissorhands. Hold me. I
0: can't. Released in 1990, this is Tim Burton literally getting a big fat check to go do whatever he wants after the success of Batman uh, with Michael Keaton the year prior uh, this is just without a doubt uh, maybe one of my favorite maybe my favorite Tim Burton movie um, I don't talk about Tim Burton enough on the show I should do like a should do like a Tim Burton sampler episode and this would definitely make my top favorite Tim Burton film of all time the more I think about it uh, feels like this movie feels like a solid precursor to... Uh, something like uh, The Nightmare Before Christmas, although completely different in plot, and obviously that being a stop-motion animation film, but I always felt like someone like Edward Scissorhands could fit into that world quite well, um, and taking a completely outcasted character and putting him in, you know, quirky little suburbia, uh, and what kind of comes of something like that. I mean, it's a, such a simple story that we see time and time again of taking... Something different, and putting it in something being Edward Scissorhands, and putting it in the common world, and how the world reacts to something they don't understand. If you don't know the plot by now, here away we go. Uh, a scientist played by the great Vincent Price, who shows up in a few scenes, uh, beginning and end of the movie, uh, builds an animated human being, the gentle Edward, played by none other than Johnny Depp. Uh, the scientist. Dis- the scientist dies before he can finish assembling edward though leaving the young man with a freakish appearance um, and he has scissors for his hands uh a which then leads this of course leads to a loving suburban saleswoman peg played by diane wiest uh, she's great in this movie as well discovers edward and takes him home where he falls for peg's teen daughter winona ryder Her and Johnny Depp, I believe, dated shortly after this film for a little while. However, despite his kindness and artistic talent, Edward's hands make him an outcast. Uh, The backdrop of this movie can uh, take place around... I I don't think it starts around Christmas time, but I think by the time we get to the final climax of the movie, I think it's Christmas Eve. Uh, Just, um... And it it also starts with uh, I believe Winona Ryder under heavy makeup to make her look like a elderly woman talking to her I think it's grandson or granddaughter about a um, about a uh, about the, pretty much about the pretty much about what happens in the film and goes through the plot and you know that's where we kind of discover um, that she's talking about herself throughout the movie. Uh, the film was shot out near like the Tampa, Florida area, so it does kind of have that like as someone who lives in florida and you kind of just see house after house that looks slightly the same and whatnot how they're modeled you can kind of see that and how they shot that and then edward's house is this weird creepy castle up on the hill that diane Weiss ends up going to discover uh there's great nods of production design in the movie when edwards discovered in like this attic looking thing where there's a giant hole through uh, the roof Uh, i remember watching a video essay about the movie one time and the and this is going to sound really dark and emo and goth like but tim burton kind of is you know a really good you know maybe goth director he's got a good goth fan base um, you know the overall aesthetic of the room where Edward lives in is very—it's completely dark. It's black, and um, that—that's supposed to be this—you know—reference to his dark soul. And the hole through the roof is a um, metaphor for the hole in his heart. Uh, this man, this—you know—man that's been assembled, or this so-called—he's not really human, but you know what I mean. Um, you know, has this—he's he's this lonely person and whatnot. Uh, There's just a lot of beautiful elements of internal struggle throughout the film, and I think I really get emotionally invested in the climax of the film. I mean, credit to Anthony Michael Hall, who really turns a corner in his career after playing the geek and 80s John Hughes movies to playing an absolute bully uh, in the movie. And uh, he really fucking, it really gets dark with what has to happen between him and Edward Scissorhands uh, at the climax of the film. I wasn't expecting seeing what I saw by the time the movie ends when I was a little kid. I mean, I can get used to it now. Uh, But there's just great moments of fantasy meets reality in the movie. And, you know, there's a Christmas tie-in with why it now snows one time a year in this little neighborhood. Uh, it's, just, it's just beautiful. This is, I think, you know, Tim Burton, I think when he he's one of those directors that when he goes and makes one for the studio, it's lately it's hit or miss, in my opinion. Um, but there's still good qualities to stuff. But I feel like when he does one for him, something like this, or something like Big Fish, Uh, which would come out like 15 years later. Uh, Those are the more memorable ones for me, honestly. Um, So again, uh, Edward Scissorhands really falls into that category of a Christmas film, that uh, a a movie you can watch for Christmas that isn't really about Christmas, but Christmas is the backdrop of this movie, at least by the time we hit the climax. Um, What more can I say about Edward Scissorhands? I don't know a single person that doesn't love this film. So as I mentioned, gosh, was it like five minutes ago? Um, I said Tim Burton makes two appearances on this episode uh, with films I'm talking about. And it just so happens I'm going to talk about the other Tim Burton film that is on my little five films because I don't I don't like to call it top five because I don't know if these are like my top five Christmas movies that aren't, christmas movies things or whatever we're talking about here but this film is uh hands down a huge blockbuster it was a follow-up to what put him on the map big time as a director people sometimes like to forget batman returns has a big christmas element to it
1: Together. We do. While she craves a romance, she can sink her claws into You can to girl like me. He plots a foul reign of destruction. My dear.
0: I just need to say in that movie trailer I just played, I was watching it again while it was recording. And I just want to say, boy, that trailer really shows the entire movie. <laughs> every cool part. I think the only thing missing in is you don't see Christopher Walken in the trailer. And that's where I'll start. Christopher Walken. I went back and I watched this uh want to say within the last year or so and um christopher walken really is the more underappreciated performance in this entire film because there is not a bad role in this movie there's reoccurring characters from the original one uh the actors names are escaping me but you know those who played like commissioner gordon and um you know a couple of other gotham regulars that pop up in the batman films uh but Every new like every new cast member to come into the this universe, this Tim Burton Batman world, uh, incredible acting, just not a bad performance at all. Um, and Christopher Walken plays a son of a bitch in this movie. He is just fucking awful. He is a piece of shit, rich son of a gun in Gotham City. Um, does a horrible thing to Michelle Pfeiffer's character, which which kicks off her Catwoman character arc uh basically throws her out of a window and um <laughs> through some weird, you know, way of, I'm not going to go too far into explaining it but you know, she ends up kind of cats kind of crawl all over her and everything her dead body and she you know comes back to life and hence Catwoman. Um yeah, I also should probably bring up Michelle Pfeiffer as Catwoman next. She is uh I would have to say she is the standard for Catwoman I mean like Zoe Kravitz in the new one was incredible I thought she killed it Anne Hathaway I don't think she was that good in the Dark Knight Rises 10 years ago but that being said I don't think she had the best material to work with as Selena Kyle Um, I'm not going to get into you know being critical here I mean I love the Dark Knight trilogy but I I think a lot of people kind of noticed that eh She was kind of cast aside and did the best she could, with you know, the material, but um, I don't really, you know, any, anyway, but like, I think a lot of people, my age, especially, and I know there's a few cat, um, or is it maybe just one Eartha kit? Uh, But I want to say a lot of people, my age, look at Michelle Pfeiffer as kind of the gold standard for that character to play. Um, No offense to Halle Berry at all, but again, I think Halle Berry probably would have done a great job, but the material she was working with wasn't that good. Um, but regardless, you know, this makes me jump to the next performance of a new character in this um, this franchise, and it's Danny DeVito as the Penguin, and uh, this is maybe one of his best performances, in my opinion, of his entire career. Uh, he plays him, plays Oswald Cobblepot, uh, the Penguin, so tragically um you go along with his story of this orphan child being left for nothing and he grows up in the sewers with um you know these animals and he's deformed and whatnot as well and he is you know brought into kind of mainstream society in gotham and you know it's a beautiful thing at first but you know, he's also has a dark side, and he it's kind of a polarizing thing with his character. It's up for debate. You know, is he someone who's, you know, honestly trying to maybe do good and have a good message? But because, is it, basically what I'm saying, is it a nurture versus nature? I think is what I'm getting at here. Is he, is there a chance for him to be a do-gooder in the city of Gotham, or is he just meant to, you know, when things go south for him, you know, the evil creature inside of him comes out. Is what I'm, what I'm getting at here. Uh, you know, I, I know Danny DeVito these days is kind of labeled in such a comic way because of his performance on It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, and it is he's he's hilarious on that show. But I just think this is one of his great dramatic performances. You know, all the way up to his death scene is so tragic and oh my like i forgot revisiting this the climax of this movie is so dramatic i got so far into it and that's again tim burton with a great third act in his films where so much of the stakes come into play full on uh I know this has just got like a big, like I think 30th anniversary celebration with maybe like a Blu-ray release and it's been around on streaming a lot. I think it's still streaming on HBO Max. Um, But I, upon revisiting this, I mean, I was all over this movie as a kid because I didn't watch the original with Jack Nicholson's Joker because the Joker scared the crap out of me when I was little. But I did watch a lot of this one. I had... I had all the toys that came from this movie. I knew everything about Batman Returns, but I, I didn't. I kind of stride away from Batman, but Batman Returns was my shit. And even at a young age, I was just like, "Yo, there are some serious uh, themes in this movie." I probably didn't know what a theme was at six or seven years old, but there were some serious things going on. And um, you know, the chemistry between Michael Keaton and, and Michelle Pfeiffer as Bruce Wayne, Selena Kyle, Catwoman, and Batman is, uh, unmatched. I feel they are, they have phenomenal chemistry together. Uh, Michael Keaton, a lot of people say is the best Batman. Um, I, 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 I think he's still number one for me. There's been a lot of great Batmans since then. I have no problem with Ben Affleck. I have no problem with Robert Pattinson, none whatsoever with Christian Bale, even though his voice is a little, you know, Clint Swoody. but I love, Michael Keaton. Michael Keaton, I think that is the quintessential image of Batman for me. Um, I should probably maybe get to how this ties into it being okay to watch this during Christmas time. And the fact of the matter is this movie does take place during the holiday season in Gotham City. Uh, great opening setup uh, for the rest of the film. Uh, a lot of it, It's really kind of like this center plaza area in uh, Gotham City. And, you know, people are out Christmas shopping and whatnot. And, you know, basically all the um, sewer people come up from underground and attack all the uh, people out Christmas shopping. And it, it's just and then, of course, Batman shows up, saves the day. And it is kind of just a cool setup for the rest of the movie that eventually introduces Danny DeVito as Penguin. And we meet Christopher Walken's character as well. It, it's a great opening. Um, I, I don't. It's just a great opening setup to the rest of the film i i in some ways think this movie is better than the year 89 batman and i love that one as well and it's almost kind of like um there's a little bit of a parallel to me with like batman and batman returns as well as batman begins and the dark knight uh with christopher nolan's films you know you go back and you watch batman begins i know i'm getting off on a rant here but you go back and you watch batman begins uh, you can feel kind of some of the studio constraints on christopher nolan as a director like they're trying to kind of shift him into their vision a little more and i but you know christopher nolan because he's such a great filmmaker a lot of his style and storytelling still kind of finds its way to the surface and then you get to the dark knight and you can tell they were just like go have fun pal and he did <laughs> it's one of the biggest box office you know explosions of all time with a film i feel that with uh tim burton with his first two batmans i mean those are the only ones he did he was a producer on um, the joel schumacher one i believe he was i believe he was a producer on the third one and then i think he jumped off ship for uh mr freeze versus george clooney batman um, but you, you kind of felt like, you know, there was a certain vibe that the studio wanted to hit with the original 1989 Batman. And by the time Tim Burton had become such a success as a director for them, uh, I really feel this feels like more of a Tim Burton film. You know, th- there's a lot more of his aesthetic showing up in Batman Returns. So I think you get more bang for your buck or bang for your Burton for your buck. I don't know. Anyway, um, yeah, takes place during the holidays. It's always cool to see Gotham City during the wintertime, having snow. Um, that's always a cool vibe, having Batman out in the wintertime. Uh, yeah, highly recommend it. It's high, it. I almost made this the last one I was going to talk about today here, which I'm going to talk about in just a minute. But I thought, you know, I because my, my last one's going to be kind of a wild card, and I want to end on a real uh, controversial note here. But check out Batman Returns. I believe it's on HBO Max. Okay, so I am I gave you at the top of the show my, uh, again, we talked about Die Hard. Okay, uh, we'll just call that one of my honorable mentions. So before I get to my last pick, I am going to give you an honorable mention, another one here at the tail end of the show. Uh, honorable mention for a Christmas movie that isn't about Christmas. Here we go. None other than Rocky IV. Now I'm not gonna play no soundbite here of the trailer. Everybody knows Rocky, and you know all the sequels by now. Rocky IV takes place, uh, I think, Christmas Day. Uh, to be sure, yeah, I think I think it's Christmas Day is when the fight, the fi- the fight between Rocky and Drago happens. Um, yeah, th- there's really not a ton of like Christmas cheer going on in the movie at all. Uh, uh, it just culminates at the final. Um, fight in Russia when Rocky goes and trains in like the, the, the wilderness and climbs mountains and yells Drago and um, <laughs> but the the he fights him on Christmas and um, yeah you, you can argue Rocky 4 is a Christmas movie that has nothing to do with Christmas because of that climax so that's just kind of an honorable mention real quick I wanted to throw in before I get to my final one and my final one For a Christmas movie that isn't about Christmas, I feel like I've said that phrase like four times in the last two minutes. I'm getting repetitive here. This is what happens when I talk by myself on the basement. Um, None other than Stanley Kubrick's Eyes Wide Shut. Baby
1: did a bad, bad thing. They did a bad, bad thing. Baby did a bad, bad thing. Baby did a bad, bad thing. You ever loved someone so much you thought your little heart was going to break it.
0: This movie stars Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman Uh, while they were still married. People forget now that Nicole Kidman and Tom Cruise were married up until probably the late 90s, maybe right at 2000. I don't have the exact date. I'm not going to go into people's divorces here. Um, And, you know, let's just say not long after this movie is when they did part ways, which just... Is kind of, there's always this kind of I don't want to say joke. I don't, I don't want to nitpick people's personal lives, but a lot of people say, you know, maybe Eyes Wide Shut got them thinking, or I don't know. Maybe some things were just exposed to them while making this movie and ideas within their parts. I, I don't know. Like, I don't know. You know, whatever. It's, I don't know. Maybe they thought there was a different, uh, Different uh, lifestyle out there for them. But then again, you know, Tom Cruise a Scientologist, Nicole Kidman, most likely probably disagreed with that kind of lifestyle. And then, you know, she <laughs> needed to get the fuck out. Now, I've seen, I think, everything in Stanley Kubrick's filmography. Uh, this was released in July 16th, I think is the exact day, 1999. Uh, I'm a little kid when this comes out. So Stanley Kubrick actually passed away before this film came out um this was his last directorial effort uh there was another film ai artificial intelligence which i believe was supposed to be his next film that obviously uh, went on to go to steven spielberg to make um so there's that going on as well uh but let's get back to eyes wide shut here because this movie took a long time for me to get around to because it was such a hot take of a movie that like this is the directorial film he 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 left us with like this is his last movie he made and this is something he left us with and it's incredible that someone you know in his age he was i believe in his early 70s when he had made this probably I'm trying to do the math here, but maybe in his late sixties, so therefore it comes out around his early seventies. Who knows? Um the guy liked to shoot a lot of takes. So for all we know, he started shooting this two years before the movie came out. Um This is a absolute fucking batshit crazy film about um it's a it's about a marriage. It's it's let's start with um Tom Cruise plays a doctor in New York. Um his wife is Nicole Kidman, her name's character's name is Alice, uh, and she admits to uh, her husband uh, about having sexual fantasies about a man that she met, and thus, therefore, that opens up the floodgates between this husband and wife of maybe looking at things outside of their marriage with fantasies and whatnot, and just whatever else could be out there that if you know if she has feelings like this why can't you know me a man have these erotic fantasies as well yeah does this sound like a christmas movie yet it's not but it takes place during christmas that's where this film kind of the the christmas element comes into it it takes place during the holiday season for the most part i believe it does um you know, I think there are scenes where Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman are out Christmas shopping. I mean, the, the final scene of the movie, I think, was shot in, what was it, FAQ, FAO or FAQ. I don't even know the name of the store, but that famous toy store in New York. Part of the movie shot, I believe, in New York City. But there's certain parts of the movie, like there's a main block that Tom Cruise walks on for a store that he goes to um, that's supposed to be New York. And it's clearly not New York. There is something very fever dream about it. And you find out later on, they shot part of the film also, I think in Berlin and some in London. Um, so there's, it's supposed to be in New York and you're like, that's clearly not New York, but I think that's like the point of the movie. There's supposed to be this fever dream feel to it. Um, you know, like when you have, you know, we have these dreams all the time where we're in a certain place where we think we know what it is, but it doesn't actually look like that thing captured so well in this movie. um, Again, I could not see this movie probably till I was in my 20s and I didn't. I saw it I saw it literally after I got married, which is fucking wild. I know. <laughs> um uh yeah, this is a this is a movie for this is uh, some of these Christmas these not so Christmas movies. That's what we'll call this show, this episode, the not so Christmas episode. Um uh some of these movies you can watch with your kids, you know. If you can watch Batman Returns. You can watch, you know, I mean there's some elements that maybe aren't for kids, but for the most part, like, you know preteens and whatnot. You can you can sit there and watch the stuff. I, I don't know. What I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a, I don't have your kids. I have my own. But um <laughs> uh as for Eyes Wide Shut, uh let's just say Put the, make sure the kids are gone to bed if you want to watch this, you know, on Christmas Eve or something. Because um, what, what Tom Cruise's character does is, since his wife now has these fantasies about other men, even though she has not acted on them, at least so we think, uh, he decides to have a night on the town by himself to see where it takes him. And he kind of goes down this wormhole of these underworld societies of, like, sex cults, and it is just, the movie's two and a half hours long. I want to say you, the real plot of the movie, and this is, the real plot of the movie is what happens to Tom Cruise on this one night, and there's everything kind of leading up to it, and then there's kind of the fallout from it. But right dead center for, like, an hour is this just... One crazy and I mean fucking crazy night Tom Cruise goes on, um, it, yeah. It, it, Eyes Wide Shut has become notorious for um, people have tried to like mimic it in other films. Like I, I was watching a movie about uh, I think it's called Lovebirds. Um, it's on Netflix. Uh, the actors are they're escaping me. There they are a couple that's like about to break up. And uh, then they go on, like, some sort of, like, mystery adventure through New Orleans. Uh, Is it it Issa Rae and uh, uh, the guy from, anyway, uh, the guy from um, Marvel's Immortals. Um, I I forget that actor's name every time. (laughs) Uh, And then they end up in, like, some, like, room that's like a a sex cult, like a theater with just, like, people wearing masks and they're watching an orgy. I know, this is not Christmas uh, quality stuff I'm talking about right now uh but like the whole time i'm watching i'm going like oh this is like eyes wide shut (laughs) because that's what happens tom cruise goes to this mansion where everybody's wearing these creepy masks and they are just like watching people have sex and there's just very and then there's just like that one scene where tom cruise is sitting there in the row he's standing there with you know wearing the mask and a robe and he's watching this sex act being performed in this room with like hundreds of people watching. It's <laughs> I can't believe I'm talking about this on this show. And um I mean like Stanley Kubrick as a director goes right up to that line you don't cross. Like this doesn't feel pornographic per se at all. Or I don't want to say it's distasteful, but it walks up to that line that you shouldn't cross, and it, it, it doesn't cross it, but like there's a lot of unsettling things in this film are just tones and feelings like typical stanley kubrick um with creating a lot of unsettling feelings in the film um but what i'm getting at is there's one shot where tom cruise is standing there and it's kind of this like is he are people going to figure him out that he's not who he's supposed to be he's not supposed to be there even though he's wearing a mask and then there's just one guy up on a balcony in a robe and a mask that turns and looks down at him, and they're staring at each other, and it just creates this crazy paranoia um, that trickles throughout the rest of the film. It is so goddamn wild. It is it is such an adult horror movie at times. Um, yeah, just, I, I think, I, look, I don't want to say, like, everybody's had a night like Tom Cruise did in this movie, but I think we've all, at some point... <laughs> At some point, we've all just found ourselves at a sex cult mansion. No, at some point, or maybe you have. I don't fucking know. But like, at some point, um, we've all kind of had a night where we've just kind of gone down a wormhole into like some weird shit. It, it's happened to all of us. It at least happened to us once. I'm pretty sure it's happened to me. I can't think of an example right now. Never, I've never had what happens to Tom Cruise in this movie happen to him, but happened to me. But um, again, this all takes place during the holiday season in the movie. Um, Christmas is, you know, just it's here and there. You know, Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman's character. I think they have a daughter in the movie. Um, they definitely feel like their marriage. They've been together for a while, and like you know, I think married couples can identify with that feeling of um, you know you've been to- you've been together for a while, like your relationship does change dynamics kind of do shift throughout a marriage and whatnot um and that's not a bad thing that that's not a that mean that doesn't mean like oh everything's falling apart or like you know for all you know things can evolve and get better um you you don't you know but you get that sense with the two of them that it's just like, should they break up? Or maybe there's just like, it's a rough patch, you know, their, their career, you know, Tom Cruise's career has really taken off and he's the provider. And Nicole Kidman is kind of the at home uh, housewife, but she's not really like a housewife. She's, you know, she has kind of her own independent vibe to her. And you just kind of like, you're curious about their dynamic as husband and wife and it has a great final scene in the toy store the cole kidman delivers a killer line and then the movie ends um if you have not seen eyes wide shut i I, like just talking about this right now i believe it's streaming on netflix this is a good this is a good movie to pop on at like 10 o'clock at night because it's like two and a half hours close to three hours and it's a, it's a good night movie because you kind of go on that journey with Tom Cruise. And by the time it ends, you're just kind of like, whoa. And I I remember I popped it on. Um, yeah, I did just that. I think I popped it on like 11 o'clock at night. And I was just like, eh, I'll watch this till I kind of pass out. Because that's what you do when you get older. You put stuff on to help you go to sleep. I sat through the whole damn thing. And I couldn't even go to bed right afterwards. And by then it's like 1, one thirty in the morning. Um, so go check out Eyes Wide Shut if if you dare. If you and you know, especially if you're you know a huge Kubrick fan and a fan of his work, and I'm sure if you are, you've seen the film. You know, people like to say it's not his best film, but I would argue. I don't know, like just like how I said, for him to go out with a film like that is unreal. Right there, there you have it. Five films that take place during Christmas. That are not necessarily Christmas films. I'm sure there's some I forgot about. I did some research, looked up uh, some other films that I just you know, didn't really f- feel like I needed to talk about them on this show. Another one was uh, "You've Got Mail" with Tom Cruise and uh, uh, excuse me, <laughs> talking about Tom Cruise for a long time, with Tom Hanks and uh, Meg Ryan. Uh, also, Dave Chappelle's in that movie, by the way. <laughs> Uh, there's a few other ones from like, you know, old films from like the, you know, 40s and 50s. Um, but I highly recommend this is like a cool little kind of sub genre of holiday films that, you know, aren't about said holiday, but take place during it. At some point during the holiday season, try to check out maybe these films or if any other ones that you can find out like that. It's a lot of fun. And uh, with all that being said, thank you all for listening to this episode, and we will see you next week on The Basement. Take care.